Hello everyone and welcome to Making Remote Work. Today I have the honor of hosting Luca Parmitano, an astronaut with the European Space Agency. Luca, welcome to Making Remote Work. Thank you. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you for having me. It's really an honor having you. Uh, Luca, I know you've been a lot on camera and lately you've spoken about remote work quite a few times and uh, I even saw articles and so on. Every time I saw this, you always mentioned how important training, planning, and generally being prepared is for you to work remotely. Now, I would like to understand what kind of training, what kind of preparation do you go through as an astronaut to prepare for this? Is there anything special? I think that when you talk about remote working specifically, um, my, the idea that I want to pass when I, when I say that you have to be ready prepared is how to make any kind of remote working efficient. Because here's the key. Uh, we want to use the time that we have in a way that it's not wasted and to, to, make, the, to make use of what we have, or the technology that we have, uh, so, so that we achieve a result. When I talk about preparation in remote working, what I mean is, uh, you have a, a set amount of time for which you're going to uh, th that you're going to use to implement a specific uh, action. So when I say to be to be ready, remote working really is about communication. Obviously, you and I right now have no way to interact other than using our words, the visual that we have, communication. So the preparation helps us creating what I call the C-cube effect, which is clear, correct, and concise communication. So if you know what you're going to talk, if you have prepped yourself about what you want to say, then you can make the communication clear, you can make it correct, and you can make it concise. And these three terms are what make communication efficient. In my astronaut work, or in my pilot job before I was an astronaut, this was actually something that we would brief constantly because we have been working remotely for all our, for all our professional lives. A, a pilot is flying, all he has is a two-way radio. We don't have visual, all we have is, is the words coming through the, the airwaves to tell us what we have to do. And the same for astronauts. Uh, even though we have cameras pointing at us uh, going down, we don't have this two-way communication, visual communication, all we have is words. So it is of the utmost importance to have to be ready to know, to, to, to be prepared in order to employ the communication in an efficient way. Is it on the ISS you use video as well, or do you use mainly voice? So we have cameras pointing, uh, pointing at our work sites so that the flight control team on the ground has visual aids for their situation awareness. We don't have video coming up to the space station 99% of the time. Um, usually when we do, it's mostly for entertainment reasons. We don't, we don't really see the faces of the people that work with us. We don't really need to. They need to see that we are doing our job right. So they have an extra tool 
to give them situational awareness. All we have is their voices and their words. Is it harder for you because you only hear voices or you're so used to it that it's just normal? I really have a hard time qualifying what's hard and what's not because the truth is when you are in a work environment, it is what it is. Um, and you work with what you have. When, you know, a lot of times we don't even have words. We don't have somebody to assist us in real time. We follow a procedure and we're acting on our own. And so we take the responsibility of taking those words, interpreting them, and then putting them into action. To actually have somebody guide us with live words is an improvement over that situation. It gives you the fuzzy warm feeling that, hey, somebody has got my back. And uh, so I, can, I cannot really qualify what's hard because sometimes what's hard can be even more fun or more, you know, you can interpret it as a challenge. So I usually don't, don't use the word. Um, what I would say is it's, it's a tool and when we have it, it's, it's usually very, very welcome. Now, on ISS, you work with multiple space agencies, right? You led the ISS uh, in 2019. Yes, I was the commander for Expedition 61. Exactly. How do you, do you get ambiguous messages coming from the different agencies or do they all come together and agree beforehand how they're going to communicate? And if there is ambiguity, how do you deal with it? Wow, it is a, that's a wonderful question. And on one of the, one of the subjects that I, that I really love, which is uh, culture, communication, uh, the meaning of words. Um, so everything that you expressed is actually part of the fun and of the challenge at the same time. So the, the five space agencies of this ISS program, Canada, Japan, Europe, uh, European Space Agency, uh, the Russian Space Agency and NASA, they all have program boards that agree on everything we do. So there is a general plan that defines all the standards that, that are put into writing a procedure, um, communicating the procedure and so on. Everything is supposedly standardized. However, then you have to put not only one individuality, but two individualities when you talk about communication, because you have the astronaut on orbit and you have the person communicating on the ground. So two individuals that put everything that they are into that communication. On top of that, add the international nature of the International Space Station. So you can have a Japanese payload controller or a, a communicator, we call them JCOM, Japanese communication officers. The JCOM talking to an Italian astronaut in English. So now all of this comes together into possible ambiguities, possible misunderstanding. And if you're an expert in communication, you know that in communication, verbal communication, 75% of the communication is not in the words, but is in the way we in the way we act in, in, the, in our facial expressions, in our hands, especially if you're Italian. So you, you can miss a lot. That's why we try to standardize the communication. However, if you make the communication too standardized and becomes robotic, you can lose some of the efficiency 
and you lose other things. For example, you lose some of the fun because you you know it's it's more interesting if you can put a little bit of that personality into the communication. It makes us humans, and we want to enjoy what we do, even when we're doing a very serious job. So all of this come together into creating a little bit of a mess sometimes. Now, the clear, correct, and concise communication is of the utmost importance in case where time is a constraint that, that limits us in what we can achieve. So if there is time pressure, you, all that personality uh, talks that I, was, that I just mentioned goes out the window and it all becomes business because you just cannot use any of the time interjecting anything else. But in a normal conversation like we're doing now, you know, this is, a, this is a podcast that talks about communication and how to make a smart working and teleworking efficient. We're joking, we're smiling. It, it, makes it, it makes it better. And that's true also on the space station. Uh, individual astronauts may interject communication with jokes, irony, sarcasm, personality, and all that trans- is transparent through the communication. Other astronauts may want to keep it as professional as possible, eliminating all emotional aspects. It's really individual. So I like to, put, to project my personality through my words independent of the language I'm using. By the way, as we are talking about you really, and while you are a commander, and even even as a crew member, different cultures, different nationalities, different values, different way of thinking about problems and solving them. How do you keep everyone together? How do you keep them motivated and engaged, especially because because of these language differences? Communication. I would say that the language is the least of the problems because, um, first of all, we we are all pretty much fluent, at least in English. Uh, and most of us, most of the astronauts of the, of the space station program have a good grasp of Russian. So we, we usually use both languages to make sure that the concept is understood by everybody. Uh, those who are stronger uh, in both languages can also be a bridge for for the for those who have, who, have, who don't have uh, such, such a, a strong uh, confidence with the, with different languages, um, I would say that what you just mentioned is pretty much one of the hardest jobs for the commander. Uh, the commander on orbit doesn't issue commands. It's not like on a ship. Uh, if you if you watch a movie with uh, that with the with, with the ships and, and boats and how the commander is always issuing commands here and there uh, to, so that everybody d- does their job. That's not how we work on the space station. Everybody already knows their job. Uh, everybody has a very good grasp of what the schedule is and how to do their things. They are extreme, astronauts are very proficient at what they do. So the commander's job is more of a column, is a glue and a facilitator. He has to be able to put everybody in the best condition to perform at the maximum of their capabilities. Communication is key. I would say that keeping an open communication so that people can express what they like, what they don't like, how they feel and, and what, what they would and their preferences and create a cooperative, um, cooperative command is one of the best ways that I can imagine to, uh, to, to have a good performance on the space station. 
you work with great minds and you just said it, you need to be a facilitator, the glue that, that binds the team together. Was it ever uncomfortable to lead such great minds? It can be. Okay. It can be because, and I think it should be, as a matter of fact. If everything always went the same, the same way, if everybody constantly thought the same way or always agreed, there could be no evolution. And what I mean is this, let's say that I'm the commander and I come up with an idea of how to attack a certain problem, a certain challenge. If everybody just says, right boss, then what are we missing here? What, what other possibilities are not being put into, in, in, into the, the container of solutions of possibilities that we are not analyzing? So as a leader, I think that what I need to hear is agreement on one agreement if my idea is a good one and possible way to improve it. So to start with different plans and come up with one plan that is better than the individual ones that were thrown into the issue. That means also, it can mean um, that can be a contrast and it must, and it must there must be in the end uh, a choice. Now, it is part of that privilege and responsibility that comes with the command to make the ultimate choice. Um, there is such a thing as leadership, but just as important, the followership is so important to understand that you can come up with a solution and you can propose it and you have to be okay if your proposal is not accepted. It's, it's, um, it's so important, I cannot stress it enough. It's harder to be a crew, man, a crew member than it is to be commander uh, because you have to be able to understand that the, what to you seems like the best choice may not be the ultimate one. And Luca, you are in confined space and you haven't all chosen to be there with, with one another. You haven't chosen necessarily the team. When conflict arises, whether it's small or big, do you usually try to avoid it or do you face it then and there and yeah, dissipate it as soon as possible? It really depends. You have to take into consideration each individual's personality. Uh, most, most astronauts, I would say, tend to fall in the category of uh, um, extroverted people. Uh, and extroverts tend to, in general, tend to want to uh, uh, confront the problem and solve it so that it's out, it's out in the air. Um, if I have an issue, I want, it, I want it to be expressed. And then once it's solved, put it aside. I don't have to think about that anymore. If you are strongly introverted, you may want to avoid any kind of confrontation and put it aside. Sometimes... Um, extreme introverts can try to put all this compressed uh, uh, stress because it is a stress factor inside and then it explodes. So uh, a commander, a leader, and in general, a good crewmate has to be really aware of the individual personalities and understand how to approach 
in, uh, uh, individual issues uh, depending on the moment. There could be, a, for anything, there is a good time, there is a great time, and there is a so-and-so so time. So it's a little, it, it's a little bit of, of almost psychology work where you have to, you just have to be empathic and understand, okay, if I was in this person's position, what, what it is that I need to hear in order to solve that issue? Can it be, can it be brought it out in the oven? Should it, be, should it be just a one-on-one -on -one confrontation? Should it just be let time take care of it and it will go away? So every, every, every issue, every problem, especially when we talk about personality, is going to be a different game. Well, it's pretty much like everywhere else, right? <laughs> exactly. Of course, of course, the situation is compounded by the isolation. Because like you said, we don't choose our crewmates. We are handed them. And all at once, we are living 24-7 for a very extended amount of time together. So people that, uh, I, I've heard couples, husband and wives, that have never had any problems, all at once are con constrained in the same environment for an extended amount of time. Issues will arise because everybody has a different way of seeing life. Yeah, and different needs of uh, space, for sure. By the way, when you feel down, you or, or the crew uh, members, what do you do to reverse the, your mood? Uh, do you get any training for that? Do you do any mm -hmm. kind of mindfulness or meditation? How does it work in that small space? Nowhere there, to really run? Is, there really is no, no training, but you have to be very self-aware. You have to know yourself. You have to know what makes you happy. You have to know what triggers you. And if you don't know, you have to be lucky that somebody is capable of telling you how to do it. So I found out through other people what are some things that trigger me. For example, I, I now know very well that if I'm hungry, I get the, the so-called hanger. So you don't, wanna, you don't want to deal with me uh, when, when, I'm, when I'm dealing with that. Um, it, it's a lot better. And for me, as an individual, I need to understand that a certain time, during certain times of the day, I need to push the problem aside, take care of myself, and then take care of the others or the problem. Uh, other people may have other, other kind of issues, other kind of triggers, and understanding them uh, and how to take care of them is, is absolutely key for self-respect and self-healing, self-protection, uh, and for, for, the, for the group. Um, there is no, there is no, no magic word, but and certainly there is no training in that other than experience and living in the moment. How about autonomy? When we talk about remote work, we always consider that giving the person that works remote the, the, uh, enough autonomy, they will do their best and they will perform better than they would otherwise do when they have predetermined uh, routes and ways. But it somehow feels that when you work on the space station. You have predetermined tasks, you have predetermined everything, you are trained to do A, B, C. Do you get autonomy on the space station? And what's the, so what does that a, show like? Yeah. So there is a certain level of, uh, of autonomy. Um, so you rightly say that our day is pretty much mapped from the ground. We have, um, the day starts at a certain time. We have tasked uh, tasks, that are inserted in our, in our timeline, and then the day, the day ends at a certain time. Now, when I was in my first experience in uh, 2013, most of our tasks were 
fixed in time. We had to start at a certain time. We had to finish at a certain time. And they expected time. We pretty soon figured out that when the crew had flexibility in when to perform a task, how to integrate their own schedule on board, it was much more efficient. So in the six years in between, and already it started in my expedition, and I certainly saw it to a much greater degree in the second expedition, um, astronauts are given a lot of flexibility into how and when to perform most of their tasks. The only time where the, where the tasks are really fixed is if it involves people from the ground for direct communication and uh, live video being sent down. Otherwise, astronauts pretty much integrate their own schedule during the day. Um, so so that level of, the level of freedom is, is uh, given through the flexibility in the schedule, and it improves the situation. Um, finally, we know that on board, nobody, nobody can have more situational awareness of what's going on than we do. Even though the ground, the ground controllers, they have uh, very detailed views into our systems, into uh, our computers, into, uh, into the science, they cannot really know what's going on on the station in terms of life. So, in some, in some cases, specifically, when it matters, like emergency or contingencies, astronauts and the commander in particular have the ultimate word. So, if something is out of the ordinary, we make the choice and we can deviate from the constraints of a procedure. Now, we tend to think right now of remote work as the ultimate competitive advantage because of talent we can reach, uh, because of the real estate, because of uh, ecology and so on. If we can have remote education, if we can have remote employment, do you think that space uh, and science would benefit more because it would reach underserved communities globally? I believe that I, I have a, uh, as, a, as a test pilot and as, a, um, as, an op as an operative, I tend to look at everything as a tool. And I, I don't give the tool a specific role. I don't say this is the greatest tool, this is the worst tool. The tool is a tool, we designed it. Now, it's important how we use it. And I'll give you an example. Uh, if you are a surgeon and you have a scalpel, you're going to use the tool that is designed to do a specific job to save a life. But if you're a, if you're a, a, a layman and you have a scalpel, now to you, that becomes a knife and you use it to cut a steak and the scalpel is gonna get trashed within them because it's not used for what it's meant to be used. So it's not the tool itself that creates the situation, it's how we use it. So I believe that technology is a tool that we can employ in different ways. If we know how to use it and we can use it to reach um, under uh, served communities and remote communities to improve their situation, to, uh, to bring something, then, then it's a great tool. But sometimes, and I can, I can imagine primary education, uh, uh, 
um, the, all those instances where human interaction is more needed than just, than just this uh, screen time, then it, it may not be the right tool to be used. It could be that we, sometimes we need a scalpel, sometimes we need a knife. They seem, they seem like they're the same, but they're not quite. So um, to me, remote working, remote capability is a tool the more we have of it, the more we can use it. The more we, we know how to use it, the better we understand it, we can implement it in the correct way. But there are other tools and we have to be able to use them all in order to achieve our, our goal. We've been through a pandemic, it's still not over. Do you think that COVID will accelerate the way we use satellite-based broadband and getting that reach like rural areas and remote areas that let, lack this kind of infrastructure and get them more connected, more educated, and so on? I really don't know. It's, um, it's not my field, and this is what I, this is what I can imagine. I know that um, my, in my experience in a space flight is that challenges, re, uh, overcoming a challenge require special tools and um, thinking out of the box on how to solve those challenges. So it is true that in the space community, for example, we have developed remote uh, medicine because we just don't have access to immediate uh, healthcare. So we have a pharmacy, we have uh, people that are specialized in medicine and we have people that are not specialized in medicine, they're called crew medical officers like myself, that have a, a general understanding of how to operate in case of, a, of medical emergency and then can use support from the ground in order to achieve the, the healthcare. Now, that, all that is being developed for a specific condition, which is being in space um, and several hours away from, the, from any possible ground support. Any challenge is also an opportunity because when we are under pressure, we have to find ways that of operating that didn't exist before. So is a pandemic a, cha a challenge? Absolutely. Can we use it as an opportunity? Certainly, because a great enemy unites and we can all use resources that were not available before to overcome those problems. So I can only hope that part of the challenge and part of that uh, joining of resources can be put into use to, to facilitate future systems of communication, including broadband and access to remote communities. Luca, you have spoken several times about the fragility of Earth as seen from up there uh, when you're out on the, on the ISS and how easily we can be wiped out from space. Having that perspective, and thinking of Earth like that, what could we do here on Earth to better collaborate and have a bit of quietness and not so much global unrest? Well, if I had the answer to those questions, I, I would probably not be here in Houston as an astronaut. I'd be, uh, I, I'd be leading a very different life. Those are, those are existential questions and they are very, very complex and have to do with the frailty of humans. One thing that I've said and that I'm convinced of is that nature and life are not fragile. 
they will persist and exist. What is at stake here is the way we live as humans and the way we survive as humans. We are the most fragile link of our own actions. So what, we are, what we're doing with our incapability of seeing the, the long-term damage is preventing future generations to have a good lifestyle. So the first step in anything is to acquire understanding. We need to be aware of what is happening and what we're doing. And that's achieved by education, by witnessing, by protest, by showing people what is happening. The second step is to look at the causes and understanding them. And as long as we refuse to understand our role in the, in the damage in the ecolo ecology system, then there's really little to do because if people don't believe it, they are not ready, they won't be able to change. Thirdly, once we understand that it's happening, that we are causing it, the third step is changing our lifestyle so that we can reverse it. Individually, we can certainly do that. There's no doubt that we can, we can all do our little part. But the, big, the biggest change has to be systemic. How do we change the system? Well, in most countries nowadays, we have, we have democracies and democracies are work through vote, through representing people that express our ideas. If we believe that ecology and a, and a system change is necessary, then we need to vote for those that express those ideas and that have a programmatic uh, plan to achieve those results. So that's my suggestion is uh, trust the science, uh, believe, believe what you're seeing uh, because that's what's happening. Understand that, um, that there is no secret agenda to promote ecology and an, 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 an economy plan that is, uh, that is aware of the impacts and then do your action through your, to the people that represent you. Thank you very much for today. Thank you for your time and thank you for the insights. You're very welcome. I, I know that we talked about a lot of things. Um, I hope that you, that people that are watching this podcast can sense how important they are to me and how much passion I put into what I do. Yeah, you do. And I will make sure to share some of the other videos that uh, you have done as well, especially those talking about uh, ecology. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Luca. Have a, Pleasure great, meeting have a you. great day. Pleasure meeting you as well. Bye, bye, bye. 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 Take care. Bye, bye. Ciao. Ciao. <laughs>